Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death Creeps and Peepers. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. Hello. You look beautiful today. Thank you, baby. I love that dress on you. Thank you. That's very sweet. Uh, just one week away from our big one-year anniversary. So exciting. It feels... uh. Uh, both like much longer than a year and yeah. like it's also gone so so fast i know i know i was thinking back when we launched the show like before we put it you know out for mass consumption we had like a small yeah. test audience and we did all these episodes <laughs> right we were so prepared and then the day that it launched oh yeah we were going to a concert we were going to see elton john mm-hmm. with our kids it was like this super special experience yep. we were getting on a plane <laughs> to pop over to seattle i know it sounds so bougie but it was a birthday present yeah and uh it wasn't launching. Like yeah, it was it was during, iTunes. It was a massive nightmare. And because I was so new yeah. to it, even though I'd been through Time Suck with you, it wasn't my thing. Right. And it was huge thank you to Joe Eschenbaugh that for that one, my my agent, for getting on uh, the horn with Apple, like the, the main podcast person at Apple. Yeah, I don't even then, know how he did that. And then I was on the phone with him during the encore. <laughs> For Elton John, so. I know, but we but we got it, but we, we did got it, it. And here and we now, are. Now we now we've uh, we've had the episode come out every week. I know. Uh, we have some unique stuff in the store this week at BadMagicMerch.com. A black dog hoodie. I know. I'm stoked to mm-hmm. put it on uh, Ginger and Penny. Scared to death dog hoodie and a new scared to death phone case for iPhones and Androids. So sweet. Uh, and thanks to everyone for being understanding with fluctuating shipping times. Uh, 2020, not an ideal year for shipping. Not not an ideal for for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're an Amazon Prime member and you like stand-up comedy, my most recent special, Get Out of Here Devil, is now free for Prime members. You can stream it and hopefully enjoy it. Yeah, it's pretty okay. It's pretty okay. I'm just kidding. Pretty it's okay. awesome. It was super fun. <laughs> uh, how many stories do you have? Horror have, stories do you have today? I have two horror stories. My first one up top is quite robust. I'm okay. pretty pretty stoked about it. And then actually my second story has... It's a, a little spooky, yeah. but also like, oh, that's a great ending. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. That, sounds, that sounds exciting. I'm into it. Uh, I have two as usual. A three next week, but two this week. I'm going to have three next week for our one-year oh, anniversary, too. It's going to be a big one. A big, fat, juicy episode. But today, also fun. Very fun. Uh, first up, a haunted ship, perhaps the most haunted ship in the world, the RMS Queen Mary, once the Atlantic's finest cruise liner and now a hotel in Long Beach, California. Yeah, I, I've heard about it, but I've Me never too. heard the stories behind it. Yeah, I just in, like know the name of it. Mm-hmm, living in LA, I'd heard about it for years. You know, people who are into the paranormal talking about like, hey, have you done a ghost tour there? And mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, all kinds of encounters there to go over. So it's going to be like a collection of stories, which I really love. Okay. And then the second overall, you know, bigger tale is about Mexico's and, and maybe the world's creepiest mannequin. Ye. La Pascualita. Uh, if mannequins already cre- creep you out, this story uh-huh. is only going to make it worse. Okay. But it, very interesting. Okay. Hey, Dan, could I, Um, you know, I have my fuzzy socks on, which, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just do like a little, you guys can't see, well, you know, I have a dress on, but um, they say sweet on the side. Oh, that's very nice. It's very nice. And also, I have a special addition to my outfit this week. Oh, yeah. Can you guys see my sparkle hair? 
Yeah. My niece is visiting DJ us. DJ hair, I heard it's called. By She's our, called it. By our niece. Yeah, Birdie has called it DJ hair mm-hmm. and disco hair. She's not old enough to watch this show, but yeah. I feel like she would know if I would have taken it out before we started recording. <laughs> Somehow she would have. She'd have been very sad. Oh yeah, I'm also wearing our best friend mood rings. So. Nice. That's it. I'm so cool now. Aunt of the year. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Quite a bit of setup on this first tale, so plenty of time to uh, keep settling in. Uh, the haunted RMS Queen Mary, naturally places that get a lot of foot traffic, report the most hauntings. Family homes passed down through many generations, hotels marked by countless horrifying incidents, even certain you know old landmarks, if they've stuck around long enough, seem to become the places where poor lost souls are rumored to doom uh, to be doomed to wander. Mm-hmm. But what about such a place that isn't tethered to a single point on Earth? Would that place also be ripe for hauntings? It seems so. Built in Clydebank in Scotland between 1930 and 1934, the Queen Mary cost three and a half million pounds, equivalent to over $335 million today. Hot damn. By the time everything was all said and done. Along with, the Queen, uh, along with Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mary sailed as part of the Cunard Line, Britain's biggest cruise company at the time, which provided weekly express service between Southampton, England, Cherbourg, France, and New York City. Cool. Yeah. The Queen Mary sailed this route for over 30 years from 1936 until 1967. The ship was named after Mary of Tech, wife of King George V, although it was never intended to be named after her. I thought this was just a funny detail. According to legends, Cunard wanted to name the ship Victoria. But after asking the king for permission to name the ship after, quote, Britain's greatest queen, George V replied that his wife Mary would be delighted to have the ship named in her honor. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So accidental naming the ship that would one day gain a reputation for being the world's most haunted boat didn't have the smoothest entry into the sea. The Great Depression of the 30s shut down construction on the boat for more than a year, and the delayed uh, added considerable construction costs. And then on the day of its naming ceremony, the sky was overcast, and before the champagne bottle could be broken against the hull, the clouds split open and poured down rain on the crowd below. Crowds' enthusiasm unquenched by drenching rain, read the headline in the Daily Telegraph. Despite a rough beginning, the ship would go on to become an extremely well-traveled and sought-after floating city. The ship's amenities, very impressive. Onboard facilities included two swimming pools, beauty salons, libraries, nurseries, a music studio, a lecture hall, dog kennels, prayer rooms, and telephone connectivity to anywhere in the world. Pretty impressive for the 30s. I mean, even now, if somebody listed off those amenities about a cruise ship house going on, I'd be like, okay, this is great. There were 30,000 lamps on board, a garage for 36 cars, a literal acre's worth of kitchens to prepare over 50,000 meals that were served during each crossing of the Atlantic Ocean. Huge mural, mural excuse me, in the main dining room featured a gigantic map of the Atlantic and a crystal model of the ship crystals. that would track its pro- progress. Crystals, crystals, crystals. <laughs> All of these features groundbreaking in the mid-30s. Traveling in such luxury wasn't cheap. It cost about 80 pounds per passage, per passage equivalent to almost $5,000 today. Yeek! Mm -hmm. And thousands and thousands of Americans and Europeans paid that fare for almost a decade. And then World War II happened, and cruise liners like the Queen Mary were refurbished for the war effort. The Queen Mary was stripped down, painted camouflage gray, and used to to transport troops and prisoners of war. Huh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Fast, so got more stories. Uh, Fast and agile for her size, she regularly escaped from chasing German U-boats sent to block her, and she became known as the Grey Ghost. So an unintentional nod to the haunted vessel she'd one day be rumored to become. To this day, the Queen Mary retains the record for the greatest number of people on board at 16,683. Dang! Winston Churchill, Churchill is reported to have said that the Queen Mary's contribution shortened the war by a year. 
During one trip during the war, the Queen Mary almost took thousands of souls to the bottom of the Atlantic. She was hit by a rogue wave, later estimated to be over 92 feet tall. It was calculated that the ship tipped 52 degrees, terrifying, and would have capsized if it had rolled just three degrees more. Forget it. That's so scary. Mm -hmm. After the war, the Queen Mary returned to making transatlantic voyages until transatlantic flights became widely available and more affordable. Now operating at a loss, the ship was retired and sold for 1.2 million pounds after completing her 1,000th and final crossing of the North Atlantic. Cool. She'd carried a total of 2,112,000 passengers, more than 3.7 million miles. With those kind of numbers, of course, some of those passengers were going to meet their untimely ends on board. Sure. And some of those passengers may never have left the ship. Time now for the tale of the RMS Queen Mary. Despite never once visiting Southern California during its time of service, the Queen Mary has been moored in Long Beach, California since 1967. Today, it's a floating hotel, or at least was until 2020, and for many years, its guests have reported a large number of paranormal encounters. Paranormal enthusiasts report that even if you aren't looking for them, you can still feel things lurking in every dark corner of the ship, just around the bend of the many hallways and behind the numerous heavy metal doors that swing shut when you leave your room. People have claimed to see and hear spirits in the now-defunct swimming pools, the sealed-off hospital wing, and the first-class playroom, which looks just as it did a century ago, filled with porcelain dolls and their unnerving, vacant glass stairs. No, thank you. Years ago, long after it had been converted to a hotel, a couple on their honeymoon planned to spend a couple nights on the Queen Mary. The couple had danced the night away on the upper deck and finally ready for bed, they descended into their small cabin. They just managed to fall asleep, when shortly after midnight, they were jolted awake by noises made by what appeared to be a tall sailor standing inside what was supposed to be the locked door leading to the adjoining room. The man stared at them as the couple heard loud music and saw a dull yellow light coming from the door behind him, which was slightly ajar. It sounded as if there was a party happening in the room next door. After a few very uncomfortable moments, the sailor turned around and walked into the adjoining room, the door shutting behind him. The couple assumed, of course, that the sailor was either staying next door or was a guest of whoever was. They stayed up chatting, confused but not initially frightened by the encounter. They guessed he was just drunk, had accidentally gone into the wrong room, even though that they were sure that they'd locked the door. But then, shortly after they'd managed to fall asleep, back asleep, about an hour later, the sailor returned. This time, the new husband stood up and confronted him, yelling for him to get out and stay out, but probably using a lot more colorful language than I just did. And again, the sailor turned and walked out. The next morning, the angry newlyweds decided to have some words with the hotel's manager. They told him what they'd seen, and the manager, his eyes flickering back and forth in what they interpreted as a suspicious way, told them that not only had no one stayed in that room the night before, no one had stayed in that room for years. Yeek. In fact, he said the adjoining door in their room had been bolted shut <gasps> and sealed several years ago, and he wouldn't say why. Oh, no. How many others had reported seeing that same late-night visitor? What had guests who'd actually stayed in that adjoining room at one time seen? Who was that sailor? Why was he trapped reliving some past moment time and time again on the giant ship? This is but one of, this is but one of many strange sightings. Another visitor remembered touring the Queen Mary with his parents when he was a child. His father was a boat enthusiast who desperately wanted to see the former boiler room. So he convinced his family to slip beneath a little red rope with a sign that said employees only, and they descended into the depths of the massive former cruise liner. No, thank you. And then they got lost. 
While his parents argued about which way to go, the young son wandered down a hallway and towards a heavy metal door. The door looked like it was rusted in place, but as the boy peered through it, he heard the deafening sound of metal scraping along metal and saw the large door begin to quickly swing towards him. Suddenly, the boy felt a hand push on his shoulder, and the next thing he knew, he was on the ground several feet away from the door, which had slammed shut so hard that had it slammed on him, he probably would have been crushed and quite possibly killed. (sighs) Who had pushed him? The boy looked up and saw a man he'd never seen before standing in the room with him. Based on the way he was dressed, the boy thought he must have worked on the ship. He was wearing a white jumpsuit, streaked with grime, and he carried a bag of tools. And then the boy noticed what appeared to be a large blood stain in the middle of the man's white jumpsuit. The blood looked fresh, and the boy noticed fresh blood under the man's nose, around his mouth, and on his chin. The boy screamed and ran back down the hall, thinking he could hear the bloody man's footsteps behind him. When he made it back to his parents, they were still arguing about where to go. The boy tugged on his mom's dress and asked, why don't you ask that man for directions? Preoccupied, annoyed, and frustrated, his mom told him to be quiet, and then they began walking down another hallway. Behind them, the boy could feel the eyes of the man in the white jumpsuit watching them. Soon, the family made it back to the top of the ship, and when his parents were done arguing and in a better mood, the boy asked them, Why didn't you just ask the man how to get out? What man? His mom replied. There was no one down there. The little boy described the man he'd seen, the heavy door, the blood. His parents exchanged confused glances, told him that he must have been mistaken, that they would have heard the door, that they would have seen him, After several protests that it all really did happen, the boy's parents told him just to drop it, and he did. And he thought about it less and less as the years went by, but he never forgot. And years later, now an adult, the same boy went to visit the Queen Mary again. Oh, boy. And this time he took a tour. And when the tour descended to the bottom of the ship and headed towards the boiler room, the man once again felt like someone was watching him. The tour guide passed before a door and told the group that once in 1966, when the ship was still taking passengers across the Atlantic, a workman had been crushed to death by the heavy metal door. That fateful night, the watertight doors in the engine and boiler rooms were ordered to be closed. About five minutes later, an 18-year-old crew member from Yorkshire was found crushed in the door of hatch number 13, trapped with his arms pinned to his sides. While the man was still alive, when he he was freed and carried to the hospital ward, he wasn't able to be saved. He'd been crushed, he had broken bones in his arms, chest, and pelvis, and he'd been bleeding profusely from his nose and mouth due to massive internal injuries. He was injected with morphine to help with the pain and died minutes later. And the tour guide told the group that his spirit has haunted the lower halls of the ship ever since. The man who'd once seen him felt both validated and terrified. Yeah. His parents were wrong. A spirit had touched him, perhaps saved him, when he was young. The crushed crew member is one of many spirits regularly seen by Queen Mary visitors. Jacqueline Torin was just six years old when her parents decided to bring her to England with them. While her parents drank and gambled on the ship's fashionable upper decks, the little girl was free to wander around by herself. Her parents would quickly come to gravely regret this terrible decision. Oh, no. Only a day into a week-long trip... Little Jackie drowned in the ship's first-class pool. And to this day, visitors report hearing Jackie splashing, calling for her parents to save her, and crying as she drowns over and over again. One visitor, James, remembers encountering what he believes to be Jackie's spirit in the early 90s. His father was a manager of the hotel and a complete skeptic. Familiar with the many tales of hauntings on the ship, not believing in ghosts, uh, this didn't stop him from trying to scare his son. One night at dinner, he told him about how the maids would quit regularly after having some kind of encounter 
such as uh, cleaning a room and quickly ducking out to get fresh towels, then coming back to find the room completely trashed. He thought they were just spooking themselves, that there was nothing supernatural behind any of their tales, but his son wasn't so sure. He believed the mates. And when he heard about a ghost tour the ship had started to offer, he wanted to take it. Mm-hmm. James' dad set it up, and he'd soon regret the nightmares it would create for his son. He liked to scare him, but not like this. Mm-hmm. Early in the tour, James heard about a reappearing bloodstain. The leader told him that they'd done everything to get rid of it, changing the carpet numerous times, scrubbing it with harsh chemicals, but the stain always came back. James was spooked, but he told himself that someone could be putting that stain back in the middle of the night. Thinking about that made him feel better. It was a long ways to go to mess with someone, but definitely not impossible. But then a few minutes later, James experienced something that haunts him to this day, something he cannot reason or explain away. The tour leader took him down to the first class swimming pool and launched into another story. While the guide talked, James felt himself zoning out. He found the hum of the ship's machinery, the droning voice of the tour leader, the dark and chilly room all pretty relaxing at first. Then he felt her. He distinctly felt a small hand grab three of his fingers and begin to pull him away from the pool. The more he tried to resist, the harder the invisible little hand would pull. Then he felt the air around him get heavier and heavier until it no longer felt like air at all. It felt like water. It felt like he was drowning. The little hand continued to tug on him, tugging now at his shirt, at his pants, trying to lift him up and out of the water that somehow surrounded him, water neither he nor anyone else on the tour could see. Panicking, thinking he was going to die, little James tried to scream, but no sound would come out. He tried to move, but found himself frozen. The tour guide droned on and on about past ghost sightings, oblivious to the paranormal encounter happening before him. Finally, the little hand let go, and the room around James returned to normal, and he raced upstairs and never went on another ghost tour again. In 1989, three women saw another one of Queen Mary's regular apparitions. Two female employees had been sent to clean one of the hotel's lounges for a VIP reception. When they entered the room, they found who they thought was a hotel guest sitting on a chair in the middle of the dance floor. When they addressed her, she didn't respond, didn't say a word. When a third woman came in to help the first two with the cleaning, she also saw this strange, silent passenger. The silent woman in the chair was staring at her in a way that made the hair on the back of her neck stand up. She asked the woman to leave the room and still the eerie woman said nothing. All three of the cleaners were spooked now and had had enough of this woman. When one of them picked up a phone and called security, the silent passenger faded into nothing right in front of them. A feat all three women reported seeing at the exact same time. Since this encounter, others have seen this same unnerving silent spirit. Visitors today refer to her as the Lady in Red. She's known to show up in some guest photographs, standing just behind them, smiling a quizzical, mysterious smile like she knows something they don't. Oh, God. Another known and named Queen Mary spirit is Henry. Henry, like that earlier crushed entity, also worked in the boiler room. And it was there that his remains were found. No one knows how he died. Was he also smashed by a door, badly burned? Did someone kill him? A variety of visitors have reported seeing Henry's shadowy figure lurking between the boiler room and what's known as the green room. Some even claim to have spoken with Henry. Witnesses say he has audibly responded to some of their questions. No way. Grumpy is arguably one of the Queen Mary's most memorable ghosts. Also known as Grumpy the Growling Ghost, this spirit is especially memorable because he tends to growl at visitors. Grumpy is said to lurk in a room under the stairs near the first class swimming pool, but sometimes visitors have seen him lurking, like Henry, near the boiler room. 
It's not uncommon to be walking down a staircase or around a corner and hear his low growl. No one's ever, to my knowledge, stuck around to see what Grumpy might be capable of other than growling. The centerpiece of the Queen Mary's haunted history is stateroom B340. In 1948, a British third-class passenger, Walter J. Adamson, passed away in this room, and the details of his death are, like our last ghost, unknown. Guests who stay in this room frequently experience long, sleepless nights. They've reported repeated knocking on the door in the middle of the night. They've seen lights turning on by themselves, heard the sink faucet turning on and off on its own, and seen doors swing open and shut on their own. And several especially unlucky guests have reported seeing what they believe to be Walter's ghost, who appears as a dark, shadowy, and menacing figure. Mm-mm. Guests have woken up to see this frightening phantom at the foot of their bed, wondering how long he's been there watching them. Upon seeing this figure, guests feel intensely dizzy and off-kilter. They feel the boat sway beneath them as though the ship is moving through water. Perhaps moving somewhere across the Atlantic on a dark and stormy night, Walter is still reliving. Have they been transported somewhere into his past, or is he visiting their present? And will he and the many other spirits stuck on the Queen Mary ever finally move on, and away from the ship, they continue to haunt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little collection of uh, many stories. And there's many more. There's many more just, you know, random quick sightings that don't really make for a story. Sure. But just, you know, shadow here, noise there. Has anyone uh, ever tried to perform some sort of like exorcism on the ship uh, or like have the spirits I would guess so. They have cleansed off the ship. I and mean, that's a lot to deal with. I mean, they do have I feel like they've kind of leaned into it because they I, I feel like it's become like a signature. Like when you go to the, the website, they don't hide it. Oh. They kind of advertise it. So I, I, I doubt it, actually. I feel like possibly many years ago, but now no way. So because now it's kind of what the hotel's known for. So what you're saying is. We should contact the hotel and see if we can like rent out the whole ship and we can have people come and we can tell our scary stories there. And then we can all set up GoPros in our rooms and see who captures the most amount of footage. That's what you're really saying. I mean, that sounds that sounds like a year two or three or four thing, but that sounds like a big event. But maybe I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not staying in B340 or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they do rent that room out. I saw that. No, thank the, you. Yeah. Right, right now, it's, you know, with COVID, things There's have nothing. changed. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Well, the ghosts are just keeping it clean. That's fine. <laughs> I do have some pictures. Sure. And again, these are on our Instagram and Facebook for people listening. Uh, Scared to Death podcast. The Queen Mary in Long Beach is this first photo. So that's where it is now. The hotel. Oh yeah, is it by the uh, uh, the aquarium? I think it. I think so. I think it's in that general area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have seen it before, but I can't remember how close it is to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one is the Queen Mary in, in, in the Atlantic. It's, it's a uh, giant ship. Giant ship. I wonder how it stacks up against like a modern day cruise ship in size. Well, you know, when when they said, I don't know about size, but as far as people on it, when there was that record of like 16,683 people on board. Yeah. I looked how that compares and like the new brand new like super liners mm-hmm. never have more than 7,000 people on them. Oh, dang. Yeah. It, I wonder if it's like uh, Titanic similar. I don't know. Possibly. Anyways, sorry. Uh, this next one is a, is a pic of uh, a below deck portion of the ship just to give a feel for all the creepy corridors, all the metal sure. rooms, echoey, shadowy. That makes me think of uh, the steamboat Natchez. Not mm, New Orleans? Uh, yeah. It's like the only time I've ever been in oh, the yeah. underbelly like of a ship. in the hull of a ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one is the first class swimming pool where Jackie drowned many years ago. Where little, I would. Little Jacqueline. I would literally never go. Yeah. No creepy. way. And then this is the Queen Mary's uh, most haunted room. This is stateroom B340, this next one. And that mean, weird. Yeah, looks like a good time, though. 
of course, for video watchers. I'm joking. This is Anton LaVey's Satanic Black House in San Francisco. He's doing some kind of, I don't know, ritual with his priestesses. Uh, no, this this next picture is the room. This is just, uh, so it doesn't look, looks like a room. Just looks like a ho- uh, yeah, regular room hotel room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but that's where the uh, the most sightings have occurred over the years. So, I mean, if you go on this ship, if you don't want to see anything, you don't stay in B340, mm-hmm. you don't go anywhere near the boiler room, and maybe don't take that tour. Right. And you don't go in the first class swimming pool. Correct. Okay. I wonder what it's called now, because uh, I doubt that, because they... I, you know, I, actually, I'm sure it is referred to as the old first-class swimming pool. Sure. Just I mean, it, it might not be separated yeah. anymore. Oh, my God. Sorry. That was a, uh, a motorcycle just drove by our studio. But <laughs> it, uh, it sounded weird to me. God. That's what it sounded freaked like. Me out. Yeah, it had like a low, had a little more bass. That, was, oh, that freaked me out. Uh, I love it when you're telling a story and I hear like a, a truck go by. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else can hear it, but I can absolutely hear it. And I'm always like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to interrupt you, but... I felt the vibration of that one. Yeek. <sighs> okay. All right. Are you uh, are you ready for for a story that might make you worry about the mannequin in our studio? I mean, not really. I thought about it the whole time you were talking about the first story. That's how nervous I am. Gonna take gonna take a quick in between story sponsor break before moving on. Thanks again, Creeps and Peepers, for uh, showing our sponsors some love. And thanks again for listening to our sponsor deals and understanding our need for sponsors. Uh, also, if you hear this but haven't heard an ad, your episode has not been malfunctioning. Uh, the way most podcasting ads now work, they're recorded separate from the episode sold on a per-download basis, like a number of downloads. And then once that number is reached, the ad is pulled. Sometimes a new ad is put in right away. Sometimes it just sounds a little awkward. Uh, it's just us setting up an ad that you'll never hear. So no real way to get around it. Just know that we know it. We appreciate many of you reaching out to let us know that something might be wrong. Okay. Only a little bit of setup needed for this odd little tale here. I already have goosebumps. I'm so not. This is a weird one. This This is a really, really weird one. This might stick with some people. Life was going very well for Pascuala Esparza before it wasn't. It was 1930. Much of the world had fallen into financial despair with the Great Depression, but people were still getting married. And he owned a luxury bridal shop in Chihuahua, Mexico, and business continued to be very good. He was a pillar of his community and a father to several loving children. He loved all his children, but his eldest daughter, everyone agreed, was his favorite. And now the bridal shop's daughter was getting married. Pasquale was overjoyed. He was excited to make her wedding the the greatest, most grand wedding he'd ever been a part of. Ah, that's sweet. As soon as his eldest daughter became engaged, Pasquale began making elaborate preparations, ordering the finest paper for the invitations, contacting the area's top caterers, bringing in the region's best musicians, and, of course, customizing an elegant and unforgettable wedding dress. Of course. And then, as it tends to do, unexpected tragedy struck. A freak occurrence. Just a few days before Pasquale's daughter was to be married, she was bitten by a venomous spider. Okay. The bite quickly became infected, and then the infection soon spread to her vital organs. Oh my gosh. Hours before she was supposed to walk down the aisle for the greatest day of her life, she was instead laying dead in her bed. Oh. Pasquale and his wife were heartbroken. Time now for the tale of Mexico's most macabre mannequin. The dead girl's parents each coped with their crippling grief in very, very different ways. Neighbors and friends saw Pasquale's wife going to church multiple times a day to pray for the soul of her lost daughter. Pasquale did not go with her. He disappeared. He was working on something, possibly something incredibly disturbing. A few days after his daughter died, a very strange new mannequin appeared at Pasquale's bridal store. 
At first, people thought that Pasquale was just avoiding his grief by plunging himself into his work, but when they looked at the new mannequin, when they looked closely, many were horrified. The mannequin looked exactly like his dead daughter. Her face, with her dark eyelashes and all-too-human gaze, was astonishingly expressive. She looked nothing like the other pale mannequins that occupied the store. She had incredibly lifelike fingernails, her hair looked and felt like real human hair, and one perverted little boy looking up her dress was shocked to see what appeared to be varicose veins on her legs. Rumors began to spread that perhaps the mannequin was not a mannequin at all. Uh-uh. Had Pasquala, mad with grief, actually preserved his daughter's corpse and put it on display in his store? Please no. It's unlikely that Pasquala could have commissioned such a sophisticated mannequin in 1930. Did he instead preserve his daughter's body somehow so she could stay with him in his shop? So she could model her wedding dress for decades after her death? Uh-uh. Chihuahua, Mexico has an especially arid climate... Theoretically, it could serve as the perfect environment to preserve an embalmed body. This legend has attracted lots of tourists to the area. Many have flocked since 1931 to Chihuahua to see what the locals call La Pascualita, the Little Pascuala. And while this may sound outlandish, embalmed corpses put on display, not unheard of. Numerous popes, for example, have been essentially mummified, put on display at the Vatican. Pope John XIII died in 1963, and his perfectly preserved body, eerily preserved, still being viewed by the faithful as recently as 2001. Yeah. Visitors still flock to see Vladimir Lenin's preserved body in Moscow's Red Square on display since 1924. But these corpses, unlike La Pascualita, are not believed to be haunted not believed to have had their souls somehow trapped here on Earth, unable to depart to the next realm. Many think that when Pasquale created his corpse mannequin, he created some sort of abomination. Over the years, a multitude of customers have claimed that La Pasqualita's eyes follow them as they walk around the bridal shop. Several employees have quit over the years because of the disturbing mannequin. One girl quit after just a few days. One of her job duties was to change what was the mannequins, what they were wearing twice a week, a task the owner required to take place behind a heavy curtain. But when the girl went to undress, Pasqualita, she froze upon touching her skin. She said it didn't feel like a mannequin should feel. It felt all too human, lifelike, porous skin. Ugh. She said every time I'd go near Pasqualita, my hands would break out in a sweat. Her hands are too realistic. She does have varicose veins on her legs. She's a real person. Other employees have made their peace with La Pascualita. They don't believe she's an ordinary mannequin, but they also aren't afraid of her. Yes, they'll find her in a different position than where they'd seen her the night before. Yes, she'll usually be found wearing the old wedding dress from 1930, but she hasn't tried to hurt them. If anything, they feel sorry for her. Is La Pascualita's spirit somehow trapped inside the mannequin? Or is the ghost of Pasquala the reason she often ends up wearing her original dress? Does her dead father's ghost return to his shop to place his daughter just as she was when he preserved her? Just a few years after his daughter's death, Pasquala passed away as well. He never stopped grieving for her. Is it possible that his spirit also still lurks in the bridal shop, watching over the embalmed body of his precious child? Ninety years since her death, visitors to the bridal shop still report seeing strange things. One recent shopper, a young woman in her 20s, who was visiting her grandparents in Chihuahua, walked into the bridal store before she realized that it was Sunday and the store should have been closed. Someone clearly left it unlocked. Before she could turn around and walk out of the store, she noticed someone standing at the register. 
a figure facing away from her and clutching a wedding dress. Mm-mm. Maybe the girl figured an employee had come in to do some work when the store was empty. So sorry, the girl apologized before adding, I forgot what day it was. I'll get out of your hair. The person behind the register didn't respond. Maybe she was absorbed in her work or had earbuds in, the girl thought, and she just didn't want to startle her by slamming the front door, so she said, excuse me. She stepped forward. I just wanted to let you know that your front door is open. I'll leave and then you can lock it after me. The figure still did not respond. The girl shrugged, moved towards the door and turned her back to the cash register, and then a feeling of dread washed over her. She felt a sinking feeling in the pit of her stomach. The air around her suddenly felt charged. The hairs on her arms and the back of her neck stood up. She turned back once more towards the register, and the woman standing behind it was now facing her, staring directly at her. But this woman was not a real person. She stared with blank, glassy eyes, dead hair, and the gentle curve of a smile covered her realistic, but far too still mouth. Her breath caught in her throat, her eyes widened in horror, and then the mannequin moved as if it was going to begin walking towards her, and she screamed. The girl swung open the door, ran from the shop. She ran out into the street, almost got hit by a pedicab, slamming to a stop. Sorry, she called out to the driver before stumbling to the other side of the road. Once on the opposite sidewalk, she regained a bit of her composure, looked back across the street at the bridal shop, and the mannequin she had just so clearly seen behind the register was now standing in the window, on display, still staring at her with her glassy eyes. She called out for the god to protect her and ran down the street. Yeek. That is so weird. So weird. Such an odd, odd story. And it's so hard because it's like, obviously, if you lose a child, that that is the worst thing that can happen to you in life, to bury your own child, right? Oh, my God. Like, I can't. I can't. Anybody who is a parent, it's like, that's it. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. So I, I understand, actually... If he was so overcome with grief, like he just didn't even want mm-hmm. to let her body go. Mm-hmm. But is there any way to prove that it's actually? I mean, you could if the shop were to uh, allow it. Uh, the shop right. still exists. The shop actually is still, uh, yeah, Calle Guadalupe Victoria, 801, Zona Centro in Chihuahua. So you can still go there. It's, it's Pascualita uh, Novias, uh, Quinceañeras y Accesorios. Accessorios. I love your accessories. God dang it. <laughs> I love how your voice changes when you speak Spanish. It cracks me up. Uh, so it's still there. You can, yeah. st- you can still go. And, um, you know, at this point, it's kind of like the last story. Right. It's a an attraction, mm-hmm. if you will. So there's no incentive for them to want it to be disproved. Right. Like the people owning there. So, I mean, it's probably never going to be tested. Well, I, I shouldn't say never. But I don't know. I just, like the varicose vein detail is really... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does look okay. Here here's a picture of La Pascualita. Okay. Um and this next one, I mean, it's an odd-looking mannequin. It really is. I mean, even like by 1930s standards that doesn't look like a 1930s mannequin what I think of. No, and then this next picture that you can see it's like a collage. So you can kind of see and if we can zoom in oh, a little hand. bit, Zach, on that picture, I don't know if that's possible. It's not the best resolution. That hand is so creepy. Uh-huh. Oh. God. Yike. Yeah. So there's a full screen for the YouTube viewers. I mean, the fingernail. The fingernail. And, I know, and, yeah. and the, the creases Why? in the knuckle is uh-huh. actually what does me in. Yeah. And then there's, and then we had, uh, yeah. So there's that. And then one more photo, just a different angle of this. Ye- and the, oh. Uh, and of course, that's, 
That's Teresa from IT. That's our that's our resident mannequin, Teresa uh-huh. from IT. We have we have right uh, behind Lindsay actually behind the wall behind Lindsay is where uh, Teresa sits. So it's it's a weird it's a weird office. It, okay, we have can we at least acknowledge why we have that weird busty mannequin? <laughs> yes. Okay. It was four times suck. We have a lot of uh, military and law enforcement, you know, listeners uh, patches. They would send us in these patches, uh-huh. and we didn't have anything to display the patches with. And I yeah. thought about like a jacket, but then the jacket. Well, I guess you hang on the wall, and it, and it would be like too easy to just get like you know like a nice piece of like foam core and then like put fabric on it and like glue them on there and put them in a case right right that would be too easy so I thought why not order a super busty mannequin and then have her wear a jumpsuit that then has the patches ironed on them. Yeah. And so that's how Teresa got here. And then I I named her (laughs) Teresa and IT. Correct. Correct. Which is (laughs) T-I-T. I'm an idiot. I forgot about that. I forgot that's why she was named Teresa and IT. Tit. I mean, I named her that, and then it was like, oh, did you do that on purpose? Oh, funny. And I mean, I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. I, I don't know that I ever knew that. That's yeah, well, awesome. Well, and you know the Keith that works here? Mm-hmm. The Keith. The Keith. Yes. The female Keith. Yes. Her mom's name is Teresa, and so I just oh, that's right. love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her mom, Busty. And hot. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So there's that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I... Would only be interested in possibly going to the Queen Mary. That mannequin. I yeah. don't know. Teresa already like. I'm if, curious. If I was in Chihuahua, I would definitely have to stop by. Yeah. Mm, you're going in by yourself. I would look from like a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would very much like to see the La Pascualita. I don't think I'd want to see it up close because then I would want to touch it. And then I would feel mm-hmm. like I don't want an energy transfer. Mm. Yeek. And, and Teresa... She already freaks me out. Like if I'm here working late by myself or even if it's the two of us and we're not in the same room mm-hmm. uh, and I just kind of like look over, if you catch her in your peripheral, mm-hmm. it's not like she's doing anything, but you, it freaks me out. I know the female Keith doesn't like to be here alone with Teresa. Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, she moved her desk, but previously because she felt like Teresa was like funny look, looking at her. She's like, oh, I don't know. I catch her over my eye. I mean, I'm, over my shoulder. I talk to Teresa when I'm here by myself. You do? What do you say to her? Yeah, just like, just like, hey, Teresa. Just like little like, hey, hope, hope you're doing, hope you're doing good. Yeah. And I, sometimes I say, good night, Teresa. When I leave if I'm working by myself. Do you really? Hmm. I want to, if, if there's something there, I, I want to play nice. Do you talk to Millie? Nope. Okay. I don't accept Millie, but I talk to Teresa. Okay. Is it because you can't see Millie? Mm-hmm. You guys, Millie is the ghost potentially that haunts this specific studio space that has been confirmed. That's right here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say it's real. <laughs> well, I know that you already addressed this. Uh, yeah. Our one year episode. Yes. Or, like one year anniversary, like actual date um, coming up. But I just wanted to, again, like I had this written down. Yes. So I have to yes. say yes. it. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a nice, big, fat, juicy episode. Dan and I are each going to tell three stories. And it's just sort of like our way of saying thank you to all of you amazing fans out there who listen. It's like if you don't listen, then we don't get to keep doing this. So Right. Exactly. We're, it, it's just that simple. Yep. It's such an easy exchange. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a little party. I have a special cake coming. You know I like cake. I love a cake. This cake is going to be so cool. Don't and, don't any, say what it is. Anyone who sees my side profile is like, that guy likes cake. Yeah. <laughs> Dad bod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then also like, and some of our staff who's around that day, because we're not all always in the studio every day. But if they want to pop in at the end of the show and say hello and all the things so that the Keith isn't just a name. Okay. Um, and then just one other really quick announcement about the books. Yes. I've been getting a lot of emails that are like, hey, uh, will the books be available for purchase even after the pre-order? And so, um, you know, after the pre-orders closed, Kate and I, but mostly Kate, the female Keith, uh, worked 
a ridiculous amount of hours just like formatting that book mm-hmm. and then uh drew our editor he edited the book so it was like you know it went from us to him and then we had to do another pass and then it goes off to the printing press and there's a lot of back and forth so mm-hmm. it finally just went to the printers in the last like week or so maybe two weeks and it takes eh, eight ish weeks for them to get printed then yeah. they have to get printed and sent to us and then we have to break our hands signing all those copies which is incredible um and then after we have the books after the pre-orders are signed and sent out non-signed books will live in the online store we didn't do a ton of extras, so it will be first come, first serve. But yes, the book yeah. will be be available somewhere in the October-ish area. Yeah. And, and people who pre-ordered were hoping to be mailing those books out the first week of October. But again, like it's 2020 and, you know, this shit show continues. So, exactly. So that is that. Okay. I just wanted to, to cover all of that. I know it was a, a lot of things. Are you ready now? I'm ready. Okay, what's squishy? Are you going to have um, Layla? Or yeah, you Layla. Have... I'm, I'm, I like, well, Layla, I, I like the other little creepy, uh, you know, heads. The weird but, heads. Uh, but yeah, I'm just going okay. to Layla today. Okay. So on this first story, um, I know that not all of our fans appreciate a warning up top. I, mm-hmm. I hear you. I do. But I have to say, if there was ever a story that needed a warning, this is it. Okay. Uh, in this story, there is... One offensive, offensive homophobic slur, and I opted to leave it in. It's a very tough call to make, so you know, bear with me. But it just really, I think, is important to the story. It really, you'll see when it happens. And I would encourage listeners to think about a movie. Yes, a character in a movie. You don't censor the character in the movie, and if you did, I wouldn't want to live in a in a world of cinema where that happened because it's not authentic to the moment. It, right, it, it's taking away, and I think it's frankly being a little childish to try and. I know not everyone agrees with me, but that's that was uh, the call that you know to leave it in. Lindsay made. I couldn't agree with more. Thank you for mm-hmm. supporting me on that. And then also, there is a fair amount of domestic violence in this. So listen, I understand that these are really sensitive things, and if these are topics that you need to avoid, this is your cue to GTFO. And we'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're sticking around, please listen with care. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Now this this author. Uh, writes to us and wants to remain completely anonymous. So uh, just keep that in mind as we're going through this. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Good evening, King of the Creeps and Queen of the Peeps. I grew up in a small fish town in Pennsylvania. We lived in what used to be a really, really nice house. It was really beautiful. The picture I'm including, which I'll show at the end, is what our house turned into when we finally left. When I was around seven years old, my brother, age 12 at the time, my mother and some family friends and I went on a summer road trip to South Dakota. My mom was always very interested in the Native American culture. During the trip, my mom would cheerfully sing, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. I think it was a popular song at the time, so obviously we had to go to Wounded Knee. I honestly and embarrassingly don't really know the history of the place, but I know something bad happened there. Early on the morning that we got there, we were exploring a ruined building. It was basically a square hole with some walls and no floor going ground level to basement. My mom climbed into the ruins and came back with this weird looking rock. It was red and gray and it looked like a heart, like a human heart, not like a commercial Valentine's Day heart. Mm -hmm. She decided to keep it and it's probably the worst choice she ever made in her whole life. We were staying on a reservation with an elderly medicine woman, and that evening, before heading back to Pennsylvania, the adults had left to go to a powwow and left us kids to fend for ourselves. The only place we were allowed to go was to the playground directly across from the trailer we were staying in. 
My brother and I were walking out the door to go to said playground when we noticed this little girl swinging really high on the swing set at the playground. Then the door to my mom's bedroom slammed shut hard. It shook the trailer and it caused us to jump. We turned around to see what had caused the door to slam. And when we did, we heard a girl giggling right behind us. How could that be? We were the only people in this trailer. We both must have had the same thought as we whipped our heads around to look back at the playground and see the empty swing still swinging as if someone had been on it. We ran back inside and hid under the desk until everyone got back. We slept in our mom's bed that night and we were relieved to leave the next morning. Around 8 p.m. as we were making good time, a storm suddenly struck and quickly escalated into a tornado. The only thing I remember between the storm starting and somehow making it to a hotel for safety was a lot of wind howling, huge thudding balls of hail, and lots of screaming. Once we made it into the hotel room, my brother turned on the TV, and ironically, Twister was playing. (laughs) I still hate that movie to this day because of that awful experience. We ended up making it home safely, despite the weirdness. While we were away, my father had cleaned the house and painted the living room. When my mom came in the house and saw this, she was beyond angry. She was in a full-on fit of rage. She didn't even take the time to set her bags down, and she started screaming and crying. She was screaming at my father, telling him to get out of the house. He was confused, and rightfully so. My mother had never behaved anything like this before. When my father didn't instantly leave, she went to the kitchen, grabbed a fork, and began to stab him several times in the arm. Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. My father ended up leaving without (sighs) me and my brother. The next day, my brother and I went into our mom's room to check on her. She had placed that strange heart rock in front of her vanity. It was like sort of on display. We found out the new anger in my mom did not stop with our dad. Our mom, as we were in her bedroom, started shouting at us, You faggots aren't allowed in here! And proceeded to attack my brother and I. This wasn't an isolated incident either. She would continue to on and off beat my brother and I with everything from digging her nails into our heads and beating us with two by fours. What? Mm -hmm. After so many beatings, we wanted revenge on her. So we stole that stupid heart rock and we buried it in the backyard. We waited for her to figure it out and give us the beating we assumed that would follow. But nothing happened. Not even a question of where the heart rock had gone. She went back to our normal loving mom. So much so that her and my dad even got back together. We thought it was over. We thought that whatever had changed our mom was now buried along with the heart-shaped rock. But then the noises started. It was like an animal constantly scratching at the walls of our house from the inside out. We would hear footsteps out on the front porch at all hours of the day. My brother and his friends would hear the sounds of what sounded like a heart beating in the living room. In a quick amount of time, my dad became to be the one who was beating my brother, myself, and my mom. This behavior went on for four years as he slowly became a raging alcoholic. Thankfully, he eventually left for good. But once he left, the energy of the basement specifically changed. We never really noticed a horrible feeling around the basement before until my dad left. We were filled with this sense of dread. We would even go so far as to run past the basement door when it was open. One day, my brother was standing at the bottom of the basement stairs in total darkness. I yelled down to him to ask him what he was doing, and he replied, listening to mom. Confused, but assuming he was just fucking with me, I walked away and left him alone to take a bath. My brother came into the bathroom while I was taking my bath and said, I listened to mom, 
She said to drown you. What? Of course, I thought he was still messing around, and I started to say, that's really funny. But before I could finish, he had his hands around my neck and was forcing my head under the water. My mom could hear me struggling and tried to get me. But the door to the bathroom was locked. She had to find a way to break through the door to get into the bathroom to save me. But the strangest part, our bathroom door did not have a lock on it. My mom screamed at my brother, as you can imagine. And once he was off of me, she began to berate him with the obvious questions. What are you doing? He replied, what mom said to do. Of course, my mom's reply was, I would never tell you to do anything like that. My brother said, I know you didn't tell me to. Mom did. What? It was all so bizarre and so confusing for my mom and I, but my brother hardly seemed bothered by it. A few weeks later, mom told my brother to beat me with a bat while I slept. A few broken ribs and a broken wrist later, my brother was sent to live with my grams across town. As soon as he was out of the house, he turned back into his usual self, my very best friend. I begged my mom to let him come home. I missed my brother so much. The first few weeks he was back in our house, I'd wake up to my brother screaming in his sleep, having terrible nightmares. One night, I woke up from one of these night from listening to him having one of these nightmares. He was screaming over and over, it burns, it burns, help me. I was shaking him awake, saying, wake up, you're having a bad dream. My brother opened his eyes and screamed back at me, it was not, it was beautiful and you ruined it. I didn't know how to respond to something like that, so I just let it go. The next day when I came home from school, I stood in the foyer and, and standing there, I announced that I was home. My brother replied with, I'm talking to mom, not thinking anything of it. I said, cool, let me talk to her when you're done, thinking he was on the phone with our mom. Instead, it was then that he threw a pair of scissors from the second floor at my head, or rather into my head. And yes, I mean into my head because when he threw those scissors from up above, they hit me in the head with such force that they stuck in my head. I remember him then putting me in the bathtub and churning the water on. I remember seeing him and a black silhouette standing over me. And then I woke up in the hospital days later. My mother kicked him out instead of calling the police. When I returned home from the hospital stay, the feeling of dread that came from the basement had now somehow reached up past the landing to the top of the stairs to the three bedrooms upstairs. The middle bedroom was a small room with one window looking out onto a path that led into the woods. This was my room. I was so happy to be home from the hospital, but that feeling didn't last long at all. It was only a few nights before the nightmares began for me. The noises in the house grew worse. Remember that sound of someone walking on the porch? Well, it was apparently pissed off because now it was stomping heavily across the porch. Inside the house, the noises increased as well. It sounded like someone was punching the walls from the inside out. My friends and I often heard a girl's voice calling out our names or just saying, hey, very clearly at night when we would go up the stairs. What I never told anyone except for my brother was that in those nightmares, there was this strange blue furred monster. It would be laughing as its pack of mangy black dogs ate me alive in my dreams. Oftentimes, I was also being burned over a fire. I would wake up with burns on my arms and scratches all over my body. I contacted my brother to ask him about his nightmares. I shared with him that I thought I was now having the ones that he used to have while he lived in this house. His first question was, are you seeing the dogs? And then he followed with asking me if I was seeing the monsters. He said there was a blue one and a girl. I told him that I didn't know what girl he was talking about, but yes, I had seen the blue one. He said, you do know the girl. It's the girl from the swing. 
She wants her heart back. And then he hung up on me. Soon after that conversation, I saw that same little girl on the path that leads into the woods from our house. I would see her a few more times before one time she appeared right outside my bedroom window was just above my bed. She was just there, smiling at me, her teeth all yellow and rotten. She breathed hot breath onto my window, and instead of fogging it up with her with normal white breath, her breath breathed, breathed out black soot. Soon after this encounter with her, I fell incredibly ill for six years. I couldn't eat or drink without violently vomiting moments later. I was in constant pain and always freezing cold. I went from being a solid 250 pounds to 105 pounds. Doctors couldn't find anything wrong with me and consistently said it was all in my head. I didn't know what to do. One day, I got a package from the medicine woman we had stayed with on our trip to South Dakota. It was a blanket. It was the only thing that made me feel warm when nothing else could. The day after, I endured a test that I had had at least 12 times, a test that always came back negative, but this time it came back positive. I can hardly remember what this exact test for, as I had been through so many over the years. However, the doctors had found scar tissue on my appendix and my gallbladder, saying it looked like someone had squeezed my organs until they popped. It looked like it had been done, as they said, by hand. I had both removed and then went to my grams to heal after the surgery. When I finally went home, after weeks of being away from the house, I was met with that damn girl's voice as soon as my mom and I walked in. She was saying, not yours. It's not yours. Not yours. I had had enough. I was beyond fed up. I screamed, shut the fuck up and leave us alone. The girl responded with giggling. I was so filled with sadness and anger and rage. I had been suffering for six years and all I wanted was some peace in my life. I decided to confront this thing. When I got to the top of the stairs, I noticed that the giggling was coming from above me. How could that be? I was on the top floor. I flicked on the lights and the giggling stopped. I saw children's handprints like someone was crawling up the wall onto the ceiling. They continued out of my bedroom over the foyer and into the bedroom at the end of the hall, my brother's old room. Written in dust on the far wall was mine now. When my mom saw this, she started crying, and then we heard the giggling again. My mom burst out, screaming and crying, I fucking hate you! You already won! Please just stop! I didn't know what my mom meant by, you won. She proceeded to explain to me that due to my medical bills, they were too much for her to cover and we were losing our house. All of the activity had gotten so much louder after this. Honestly, it felt like the girl or the spirits or whatever was in our house was having a victory party knowing we were leaving. I moved in with a friend of mine. I had a mattress. That was it. The rest of the room was completely empty. I hadn't even gotten sheets yet. My friend and I walked into my room as we were just chatting about life and whatnot and noticed a creepy ass jester doll with ceramic head and hands on my bed. I went off on my friend, but she insisted she didn't do this, that she would never buy that weird fucking thing or try to scare me like this. I took it outside and chucked it into the woods. Two months later, my roommate had borrowed my my TV to watch a movie with her boyfriend in her room. After they watched their movie, we all hung out and played cards for a while before her boyfriend left around midnight to pick up his brother from work. It was bedtime for her and I as well. We were packing it in for the night and turned off the TV in the living room but we could hear the TV upstairs. Forgetting that the TV was now in my roommate's room, I was about to go to my room to turn it off, but then I remembered where the TV actually was. 
Then who the fuck was in my room? We could clearly hear two voices coming from my room. One, a deep, gravelly voice, and the other, the voice of a young girl. My roommate and I decided we were going to slowly approach my room. As we approached the steps, sitting on the stairs, on that first step was the fucking jester doll I had thrown away two months before. It was surrounded by a thick darkness I cannot explain. It was so thick and dense that none of the lights in the house could even touch the doll. That overwhelming sense of dread I used to feel in my old house washed over me. There was no way I was going to my room that night. I crashed with my roommate. In the morning, we went to my room to find my room was completely torn apart. Clothing strewn about, cash everywhere, bed separated from bed frame on the opposite side of the room, and all of the light bulbs in the room were broken. From that day on, my roommate and I slept together every night in her room until we finished our lease and moved out. Within days of us moving out, my mom told me she had had a dream about the little girl with rotten teeth screaming at her about taking her heart. Two weeks later, on November 15th, my mom was diagnosed with stage 3 lung cancer. She went to the cancer center in Chicago for treatment and showed massive improvements at every round every time she was in Chicago. But every time she would come home, she would grow significantly worse until my mom passed away on November 17th, 2019. The day before she left us, I was crying and hugging her, telling her how much I loved her and that I couldn't let her go because I still needed her. My mom said, it's okay, baby. I'm taking her with me. It's all okay now. It was like she was telling me she had made some kind of deal with the girl who had been tormenting us for years. I didn't know if what my mom meant or if, it, if my mom meant what she said or if it was just her exhaustion from her treatments talking. My brother and I had a hotel room close to the hospital, and at 3.22 a.m., we were awoken by the anguished scream of a little girl. About 10 minutes later, we got a phone call from our aunt, telling us our mom had passed away at 3.21. Surely that scream was the scream of the force that haunted my family for so long. And that was it. It was all over. Since that day, neither my brother nor I have had any kind of encounter with the giggling girl with the rotten teeth, not one nightmare, not even one bump in the night. It was just over. My mom did it. She saved us and she knew it. Our aunt said she died with a smile on her face. My mom was, or rather, still is my hero. She was the one who introduced me to Dan's stand-up. Her favorite joke was the one about sneaking a bunch of clowns into a friend's room once they were passed out from a hard day. Thank you for listening to this long and sadly true story. Wow. That was intense. So intense. And I'm sorry, in, in, in the beginning, what was her name? It's all oh, anonymous. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. just making it's, sure I didn't it's miss It's his it. name. It's a boy. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, great. Yeah. I had the perspective wrong. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I did too. And, oh. and that's good. You know, you can think your own story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And well, thank you for whoever you are for sending that in. Man, that thing at the end was – it was already, I mean, yes, sad and also just like kind of gave me the chills mm-hmm. and intense and I'm taking her with me. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck was that rock? I know. Like that – it makes me think like for all the God, times – that's a very different story. Sorry, that, that's just a lot to take in. I told you. It fucked me up. Like I – you know, we – record in advance so obviously like i'm prepping stories in advance you know kind of trying to work Mm. a few weeks ahead this story has been in my head for a few weeks and then i was working on it yesterday at home during the day lights on and as i was working through it my stomach hurt so badly like i was like god am i getting sick like do i need to go to the bathroom like do i eat something bad when i was done my stomach ache gone just like completely gone it was so fucking weird and then last night 
I did not tell you this. We're in bed, sound asleep, 3 a.m. I'm not kidding you. I heard uh, our niece is staying with us and I thought she came into our bedroom. I heard our like a sound that sounded like our door opening. I woke up. I like opened the door. She wasn't out in the hallway. Our door was closed. And then I started thinking like, okay, wait, where did that sound come from? I had heard a banging on our bedroom window. And like, you know, our, our room is sort of like subset, if you will, you know, and our window is like at um, ground level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I checked the yard. I was like, is there a deer? Like the light, the motion sensor light wasn't on. Like, something fucking knocked on our window last night. That's cre That's terrifying. It was terrifying. Terrifying. Ah, yeah, because when I, cause, cause when I, oh, I told you that when you were out of town, yeah, we had like a little, yeah, like the family situation. So you had to like, you know, bounce out of the, so I was alone for the night, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I was fine. Went to bed fine. Yeah. But, um, but I had, I mean, stupid dogs. I mean, in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, ah, it's a deer. I'm going to, I'm going to hold that it's a deer, but it was just weird where I, I didn't look at what time it was, but middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, the dogs, what was, what was odd is they popped up. And then took off out of the room, up to the living room, but never barked. And and then I, and that was the weird part. Because if it's a deer, they go ballistic. But we do have a new fence. And they can't... I'm not saying that deer can't jump the fence. I bet they can, yeah. I bet they can. But I haven't found any deer poo in the front yard, I have to say. Oh, yeah. True. So maybe they couldn't see it. Mm, true, 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 true. But but then yeah. why would they pop up? What It's not like I they know. can smell the deer through our... And, and then it was weird that I yelled for them to come back, and I just assumed they wouldn't. I was just, I was like, wow, why not? And I assumed that I have to get up, go yell at them, you know, uh, s see them staring at some deer or whatever like that. Nope, they ran right back into the room and snuggled up, which is also just different for them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Time to cleanse the house. Um, <laughs> also, I do have a picture of this house. Uh, Zach, if you don't mind throwing that up there. Um Ah. You know, you could tell that it like absolutely was a lovely home, you know, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, it's overgrown with weeds because they were, they were unable to take care of the house with all this illness. And mm -hmm. you can see like the black sort of like soot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, it just looks unkempt. Yeah. Oh my God. That, I, I, that another part of that story that really got me was, was the uh, handprints, the little kid on, on the wall. Oh my God. Woo! That was. That got me. That part. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The giggling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, thanks. No, thank you. Oh, man. But I, I will say, um, you know, be, I learned a lesson about our book this year. Like I had to go back and find all these people and get permission to share their stories. So as you're sharing your stories this second year, mm. I am uh, working with people like saying like, hey, like it's going to be in the future episode, mm. blah, 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 all these things. And um, when I emailed this person to say like, hey, can this be included in the next book? Because we had to stop sharing the book stories like a while ago so I could get it to the printer. Anyways, uh, he was on a road trip with his brother. Oh, interesting. And I like loved that, that they just- After all that, that they didn't yeah. work everything out. Yeah, Man. that they're okay. Yeah, yeah, the violent swings were crazy in that story. I know. To go from no violence to like pretty extreme violence. Incredibly extreme. Yeah. And the vocabulary that his mom used is like she just, he clearly like loved and adored his mom. She would have never right, right, spoken right. to him like mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. which again yeah. is why I chose to leave it in because it was relevant to the story. Yeah. Well, I do have a little palate cleanser for you. So it is about like a fa another family, mm -hmm. um, a, a little like, maybe clairvoyant, but I think it has a really lovely ending and I think we need it after that story. Um, okay, so now this, the beginning, there is a tiny bit of setup. I love that this uh, listener, Leslie, gave us our own setup, like clearly mimicking the show, which is awesome. Yeah. So try and follow along this little bit of details about who these people are because it, it will help in the end. Okay. Okay. 
So the background information she says is, my mom has a best friend that she has been friends with for over 37 years. Her name is Nani and she is my godmother. Nani has a daughter named Courtney and Courtney's my god sister. Nani also has two brothers, Ricky and Jerry's and Jerry. This comes into play later. And Jerry is my mom's ex-husband. Okay. Okay. So it's like two best friends. Yeah. Uh, it, it's Deb and Nani. Okay. And then Deb is married to Jerry. Okay. But then divorced. Okay. 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 So okay. Ricky, Jerry, Nani, one family. Yeah. I think okay. I got the little tree in my mind. Okay. Okay. I had to read it like three times. Uh, Leslie says, Lindsay, what up, my girl? <laughs> I love it. And then she's, hey, Dan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the podcast, you guys. I finished binge watching all of it this last week. The podcast is the shiz. I was inspired to write out our story for you. This is a family story that gets passed around every so often. It's also 100% true. We believe my god sister Courtney has special abilities. And even today, she still possesses certain gifts that nobody can explain. The recently departed and beloved family members from the other side are known to visit Courtney from time to time. Most of the time, they come to her in her dreams, but every so often, a spirit will come and find her directly. Although it's, a, although it's scary, it is reassuring to say the least, especially when it's someone that you want to hear from. The year is 1989, and Courtney is three and a half years old when these strange occurrences start happening. She has an old school Fisher-Price phone that has eyes on it and wheels with a little string attached. Courtney always pulled that thing around everywhere and was always talking on it. She also loved sitting in the closet and making phone calls. One day, Nani, my godmother, is cleaning her house with the music playing loud on the radio. She could hear Courtney's voice over the music. How strange, she thought. She turned down the radio and went searching for Courtney in her favorite hiding place, the closet. Nani opened the door and peered inside, and there was Courtney with her little toy phone in hand. What are you doing, Court? Courtney looked up at her mom and said, Mommy, my friend in the black dress was crying. She's looking for her baby. Who's your friend, Courtney? The lady with the black dress and the apple necklace? She says she wants to talk to you. Courtney held up the phone to give to her Nani, waiting for her to answer the phone. She looked at her and said, Hell no. <laughs> Nani wasn't sure how she felt about the friend on the phone. Nani was unsettled by Courtney and what she had just said to her she didn't want to flame her overactive imagination. She called my mom and asked her to come pick up Courtney to get her out of the house for a while and maybe take her mind off her new friend who was just so eager to talk to her. Needless to say, my mom quickly came to pick up Courtney and took her back to stay the night at our house. Everything was fine until 3 a.m. My mom's first husband, Jerry, woke up. He looked up and saw Courtney standing over him, whispering to something or someone. What are you doing, Courtney? Said Jerry. My friend wants to see you. She whispered matter-of-factly. Oh, Go back to bed, Court. She went back to bed and stayed asleep for the rest of the night. The next morning when my mom woke up, Jerry said, uh, Courtney came into our room last night and she told me her friend wanted to look at me. My mom was freaked out, but she never once doubted what Courtney was talking about. She knew for sure this wasn't just an imaginary friend. She brought Courtney back to my godmother's house, and Courtney told Nani what had happened. She said, Mommy, my friend with the black dress and apple necklace was at Aunt Debbie's house last night. I just, oh, I took her to look at Uncle Jerry. She really wanted to see him. My mom and Nani laughed about it, my mom's laughter coming from amazement, while Nani's came from uneasiness. 
So this goes on for the next eight or nine months. Courtney always talking about her friend. At Courtney's next pediatric appointment, Nani makes sure to let the pediatrician know about Courtney's imaginary friend. The pediatrician was interested in this little tidbit of information. Her doctor said, you know, kids tend to have great imaginations as well as being more receptive to things that adults just are not. He also told her to not discourage or encourage whatever it was. Courtney would eventually grow out of it. Not long after, my mom was at Nani's house hanging out for the day. Courtney was constantly in my mom's ear telling her things like, my friend with the apple necklace wants to talk to you. She says she needs you to find her baby. Like I said, my mom was already aware of Courtney's friend and loved picking her mind about the mysterious lady. Courtney, in turn, felt really comfortable talking to my mom about her. Then Courtney turned her attention from my mom to Nani. Oh, mommy, the lady in the black dress is so sad. She has four babies and one of them is lost. She can't find him. My Nani did not appreciate this. Why do you do this shit, Deb? <laughs> Look what you started. Just stop it. My mom said she just couldn't help it. She thinks Nani would have picked up the phone the first time if Nani had picked up the phone the first time Courtney told her to, then we would know who this was. Once again, Nani responded with a hell no. Nani says the straw that finally broke the camel's back came from a visit to see her biological dad, Woody. Courtney was about four years old at this time. Nani and her real father had gotten into some kind of argument. Nani told him something along the lines of like, you know, that's crazy. I think it's just so fucked up that you won't even show me an ounce of you won't even show an ounce of love. I'm your first fucking born child. Some clearly some family situation. Mm -hmm. Woody gave her a strange look and said, who said you were the first born? There was another before you. Your mom gave, gave him up for adoption because we were underage at the time. The people that adopted him named him after your mom. That's all I know. Nani was pissed. She never had heard this story before. She left Woody's house and went to her grandpa Richards, which is her stepdad, and said that she needed some answers. So Nani's biological mother, Robin, had died three days before Nani's sixth birthday and was buried on her actual birthday. Nani didn't have her mom around to answer any of the questions she had, but that wasn't going to stop her from finding the truth. Nani and Courtney ended up at her stepdad, Grandpa Richard's house, to ask Grandpa Richard if he knew anything about Grandma Robin having another baby. Richard assured Nani, I met your mother when she was three months pregnant with you. We got married as soon as you were born. I knew your mother well enough that I don't believe she had another baby before you. While Nani is taking in all of this new and confusing information, Courtney starts chiming in, ending Nani and Grandpa Richard's conversation. Courtney begins to tell Grandpa Richard, you know my friend. What? Courtney now has Grandpa Richard's attention. He asks Nani what Courtney is talking about. Nani says, I don't know. It seems like an overactive imagination to me. Grandpa Richard asks Courtney for more details. The next thing Courtney said shook everyone to their core. Grandpa Richard, you lived with her in the house on wheels, the one with the spoon and the fork. You loved her. He looks like he's about to faint. Come with me, he says, and all three of them go into the garage. He had an old trunk up in the rafters that he had Nani help him take down. Do you recognize this trunk, Courtney? He asks. No, she says. This trunk was old and dusty with a lock on it that had to be cut off with bolt cutters. Grandpa Richard pulled out a big old photo album, and he says, Courtney, do you know what this is? And she says, yes, it's a picture book. They begin looking through it together, and that's when Courtney excitedly screamed out, that's my friend. She pointed to a picture of Grandma Robin, Grandpa Richard's wife. 
Then, she, then he turned the page and she says, oh, I've been there. And she points to this black and white photo with a lady in a black dress standing in a kitchen with flower designed wallpaper. You, can, you can't see it, but there's a giant spoon and fork. She points her little finger outside the frame of the picture. Grandpa Richard, Grandpa Richard says, what do you mean? You know the place, Courtney. Richard persisted with, what color was that wallpaper? Courtney says, matter of factly, it had yellow flowers on it. And she was correct. Remember, the wall, the picture was black and white. Mm-hmm. Grandpa Richard confirms the wallpaper was bright yellow daisy wallpaper. The picture was in, uh, sorry, Grandma Robin and Grandpa Richard lived in a mobile home when they first got married, a.k.a. the house on wheels. Mm-hmm. He reaches into the trunk and he pulls out an apple seed necklace. It belonged to Grandma Robin and it was in her belongings when she died. Everybody is pretty much freaked the fuck out at this point, but Grandpa Richard still knows nothing about Grandma Robin having another baby. After this, ex- after this experience, Courtney, Courtney, I, bleh. <laughs> after this experience, Courtney pretty much stops talking about her special friend until the summer of 1999 rolls around. Nani and Courtney were staying at a hotel, waiting to move into their new house. Nani has a super vivid dream where a woman is standing on the other side of a huge heavy ass door. Nani hears her calling out in her dream, try harder, please try harder, open the door. Nani tried as hard as she could, but the door would not budge. She woke up abruptly to a phone call from Ricky, her brother. He said he received a phone call from a random man who was looking for his biological mother. Ricky told the man he knew nothing about that, but he was going to call his sister and see what she knew. He told the man to call back around the same time the next day. Needless to say, Nani was at her brother's house the next day, anxiously awaiting this phone call. All she knew was what she had remembered Woody telling her, that, quote, there was one before you. The people who adopted him named him after your mom. The phone rings and Nani picks up. Hello? Hi. My name is Robert. I'm looking for my biological mother. Nani's jaw hits the ground. Robin? Robert? She (laughs) tells him to bring his birth certificate and any other information he may have, and she will do the same. They meet up for dinner and connect all of the puzzle pieces together. Turns out, these long-lost siblings lived less than an hour away from one another. They had the same mother and father. Wow. Robin and Woody. After connecting all the dots and finding each other, I believe Grandma Robin's soul is finally at peace. Nani finally busted open the door that Robin had been trying to open for decades. She probably wouldn't have been able to do this without the help of Courtney and her quote-unquote friend, Grandma Robin. They were able to find out that Rob's adoption papers were signed May 27, 1958, and Courtney was born May 27, 1985. I believe Grandma Robin found Courtney for a specific reason. Courtney, according to my nanny, is exactly like her grandmother, Robin. They have the same spirit and personality, which makes it understandable why Robin connected with her so well. Courtney continues to be a clairvoyant even 30 years later. We know this because my brother, who grew up with Courtney, recently passed away. After his passing, my family had packed up and moved to a new house with absolutely no electrical problems whatsoever. Courtney came over to visit us for the first time since we moved. While we were all sitting in the living room, reminiscing over memories of my brother, the light in our hallway bathroom began to strobe on and off in two-minute increments, her whole entire visit. It was weird, and we were kind of scared at first, but then quickly laughed it off knowing better. Our brother loved Courtney, and they were best friends growing up. We should not have been surprised that he was so happy to see her. Leslie, 
P.S. With my grandmother and Courtney's blessing to tell this story, they also wanted me to share pictures with you. Uh, we have a picture of Grandma Robin wearing her apple seed necklace, and the other picture is of Courtney when she was around the age that Robin began visiting. Wow. I know. So it's like, it's sweet though. It is. It is. It's it like is. Not as spooky, but yeah, I just thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Zach, if you want to pop up a picture of Grandma Robin. Okay. Nice. Appleseed necklace. Uh-huh. And, and the, you know, it's in black and white, but sure. I guess it was a, a black dress and funny, right? Yeah. And then we have a picture of sweet little Courtney. She was like, what, three, four when this was happening? Uh-oh. She's a little chopped off. She got, she got a little chopped. She got a little chopped. It's it's hard. It was a tiny, tiny photo to begin with. Oh. But, but there she is. So there cute, you have it. Cute. Wow, good man. Both of those were very riveting. Yeah, yeah. That one gave me some the chills at multiple points as well. Like, yeah, I mean, I loved that it wasn't a scary story, right? Because I I've been getting some emails mm-hmm. that were like, "Hey, I have like a really great ghost story, but it's not scary." And I think the, it's a good balance to just like it makes those ones still creep me out though because they, they just do? yeah just being a little bit like uh, telling myself I'm still pretty skeptical. It's it, it just like ah because if. I always think with those, well, I'm like, know. oh shit, well, if that's real, then that's, this could be real and this could be real. So my brain starts doing this ping pong of like all these other possibilities. Yeah, I get it. Yee. I like that because I think stories like that really do create confirmation. Like, mm-hmm, and, and that it doesn't mm-hmm. all have to be bad. We right, don't, right, right. Because that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, and we don't know the rules yeah, on the other side. Yeah, yeah. There could be a lot of nice entities. There could be. Yeah, it's weird to think they go, that they exist and are bad. Yeah. Hey, guess what I have? What? A few shout outs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do them. Shout, shout so, them out. Okay. So uh, the shout out requests are coming in at force speed, which is totally okay. Yeah, we're so lucky. So lucky because that means that you guys are super engaged fans. But in the interest of time and everything, we're just like trying to hone them in a little bit. So I have some big happiest of birthday wishes to the following. Andrew, happy birthday from Shelby. Brooke, happy birthday from Maddie. Dakota, happy birthday from Katrina. Brian, happy birthday from Arlene. Joshua. Happy birthday from Genevieve and happy birthday to Tyler from your mom, or uh, a.k.a. Mickey. And also happy birthday, Greta from Dylan. A huge happy loving congratulations on your wedding to Derek and Jackie. And a little love shout out to Haley from Matt. Aw. So lucky. You're very good at tracking all that. Well, you know, (laughs) I, I actually there might be a few little belated birthers in there. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews as well that continue to pour in. Uh, they Again, they do help us find new listeners and we are appreciative. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so stoked. I think we have the best fans. Yes, I, I love you guys. We do. We do. Lucky here on the Bad Magic with Time Suck and Scared. Just like good fan. The new show is we dumb. Great fans, engaged fans, passionate fans. We're so lucky. Mm-hmm. And very respectful fans. Yeah. I have to say that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I get some emails that are kind of like, hey, well, it's just like about like the ad thing or mm-hmm. like. I don't know, just all of my engagements. There's like yeah. one in a thousand emails that's some poop head. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm like, yeah. man, I love you people. Yep, yeah, very true, very true. And that's all for today. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Uh, you can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan and Kate Keith, the Keith <laughs> on social media and badmagicmerch.com for merch design, producer Sophie Evans for helping with story curation, Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing, and for custom soundbed creation, and Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Please subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcast. We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, if you want uh, even more horror interaction. Thank you to Liz Hernandez for moderating. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Big show next week, the one-year anniversary special. 
Hope you were scared to death. Jazz hands. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.